It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. Hi, I'm Teresa. And I'm Amy. We are two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it. So, Teresa, what was your highlight from last week? I got a card in the mail. Yeah. Super sweet. That a friend that used to go to my actually cycle and Pilates class back in the day. Yeah. Was hiking the Grand Canyon. And she sent me a card just saying as a thank you for oh. inspiring her to do more. Like she, at the time before class, she didn't really feel comfortable on a bike. Well, now she's biking. Like she does the things for No New Trail. And she's just doing things That's that awesome. I did. I had no part of really. But in her mind, she thinks just, you know, a couple words that you inspired I might her. have said yeah. in class inspired her. And now, you know, she's hiking the Grand Canyon. And so she sent me a super, super sweet card and then a postcard, too, saying oh, that I was in her pocket the whole time. That's awesome. So while she thinks that I meant a lot to her, she has no idea that way more the impact she, on yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. One of the things we talked about in episode 28 was how Princess Diana passed on her generous and caring spirit to her children, Prince William and Prince Harry. Which all those charities, I had no idea. I know. So awesome. It truly is her legacy that she raised kids despite their celebrity yeah. and status that they yeah. care about other people. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle have raised almost $2 million to buy COVID vaccines for some of the world's most vulnerable people in just over a week. Wow. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex, which is Harriet and Meghan's title, set up deals with three other companies and foundations, including MasterCard, Citigroup, to match funds to purchase the COVID vaccine, making each dollar donated equal four dollars. So awesome! I, I wonder. What, I wonder what countries that's going. Like if if that's going to India. Or yeah, I I I don't really know. Either it doesn't matter. Yeah, because it's getting to people that need it. But. Exactly. In their statement asking for donations, they said 80% of the vaccines administered so far have been in wealthier countries, but developing countries have barely started administering vaccines due to financial constraints and lack of medical infrastructure. So it's a real need. Which we don't really see. I know. You know being here. In the I mean, we take it like, yeah. oh, we oh, just absolutely. go. Yeah. Uh, each COVID shot costs about $5. The funds raised by Meghan and Prince Harry will go directly to purchasing vaccine doses for the world's poorest countries. I love that. And definitely Princess Diana's looking down. Oh, and she's probably smiling. Very proud as can be. This is really sweet. Prince Harry and Meghan are using their son Archie's second birthday as a point of giving. Apparently, a lot of fans of the royal family make donations on behalf of birthdays of members of royal family, which is kind of weird, but nice. <laughs> the couple asked that all donations for Archie's second birthday be directed towards the fund to purchase COVID mm. shots. Along with raising funds for this project, they also pushed for companies manufacturing vaccines to release more vaccine supplies to third world countries at a not-for-profit uh, cost and temporarily relax intellectual property rights on the vaccines so they can be produced by other companies mm -hmm. to increase supply, which is Good. really cool. Yeah. Princess Diana's children just continue to impress me with their giving spirit and kindness. Mm -hmm. It's just so generally inspiring how they continue to use their status and mm -hmm. influence, not for themselves, but really to help the less yeah. fortunate. I'm still distracted with the whole fact that people buy presents for I people know. that don't need any presents. Yeah. And yet 
but yeah, kudos for them for encouraging to I, be steered in the right direction. I came across this story of a local winery, the Don Vineyards in Newburgh, Oregon, that is now the first winery in the U.S. to be run by a black woman. Hmm. Yeah. Tequet, in Newburgh. In Newburgh. Okay. Yeah. Tequet, like our backyard. Our backyard. Yeah. yeah. Tequet Bramlett is the new president of the Don Vineyards. The owners, Drew and Aaron Allen, just re- recently bought the winery from Don and Vicki Haig, who founded it back in 99. The new owners were intent on making their company more welcoming to diversity and believe that Tuquette's wine knowledge makes her the perfect fit, which I just love. Uh, Tuquette was, this is an interesting fact, she was trained vocalist whose career was cut short. Okay, that's funny because Pink. Yeah. Being a super rock star and then now she's going into winemaking and then this lady. Yeah. She had thyroid cancer, so oh, not the happy. Story, I know, but, but she was she was fine, but she mm-hmm. didn't know what to do next. Her mom, okay. her mom, a wine lover, suggested <laughs> she get certified as a sommelier, and that's exactly what she did. And her first job was at Anne. Talk Ain- about making you know. I know good out of making lemonade out of lemons. Exactly, it's- I love it. She, her first job was at that Anne Amy Winery in Carlton, Oregon. I have not oh. been there. Yes, we love that. Is it good? Okay. And it's beautiful and good wine. Oh, yes. my good. Well, I wonder when she worked there. I don't know. She, I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah, she. that's a place where she really learned that everyone should have fun, really, mm-hmm. and that if you can elevate their experience. And then last summer, during the height of the protest, she wanted to get help with the support of the black-owned businesses. Mm-hmm. So she organized a market and event, and it sold out. And that prompted her to organize, build community with her brothers and sisters to ha- get them involved in the wine industry. So she founded Our Legacy Harvest, which she held these dinners on Sundays mm-hmm. for people of different areas of the industry to come talk and share their knowledge of the wine industry. And then she kind of put together these little applications for people who were interested to learn more about a different skill. Mm-hmm. She'd, she'd kind of match them with somebody in the wine industry to gain mm-hmm. experience, mm-hmm. which I really Networking. like that kind of in, in but it kind of like an apprenticeship mm-hmm. sort of thing. So her five-year goal at Vidon uh, Vineyards is to have a little campus where people can come learn about winemaking mm-hmm. and just the different operations, which I think is kind of fascinating. It's perfect for yeah. our background. Yeah. You know, uh, Vidon is a small boutique winery. The tasting room is where they actually are producing the wine. So it's all there in are, one. There are quite a few yeah. places, though. And that are yeah. like that. Yeah, I love that. But it sounds awesome because there's uh, the view of Willamette Valley mm-hmm. and Mount Jefferson. Sounds incredible. And I, I just love her passion for building community and sharing her knowledge of the wine industry. Information about the wineries mentioned will be on our website at tangentialinspiration.com. I definitely want to check them out. Okay, I thought yeah. maybe we could use it for one of our celebration of our, yes. of our goals. Yeah. yeah, but that needs to be soon, for sure. A couple of months ago, I caught the tail end of an interview with Chef Erin French she just published her first book earlier this year, Finding Freedom, A Cook Story, Remaking a Life from Scratch. We'll have the link with the information on this book on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. It is beautiful. Oh, my gosh. I know. I mean, first off, the cover of this book is beautiful. Erin's on the cover holding a huge bouquet of red and orange poppies. But against, you don't really see a person. You no. You just see the flowers. Against that black yeah. background. It's really stunning. I have to say, I devoured this book in two days. It says a lot. It, you can get through a book in that yeah amount of time. It's messy yet transformative story of Erin's journey to find her true passion for cooking, 
constantly forging ahead regardless of the obstacles. It's really, truly inspiring. She was born in 1981 in Freedom, Maine. She grew up on a farm with her younger sister, Nina, and parents. They lived simply. Erin and her sister played in the fields near their farm and chased barn kittens and sold eggs for extra spending money. Her mom was a fast-spoken worker, worked as a special ed teacher at a school in a nearby town while her dad owned a diner in Freedom. It's kind of a cute story how the girls found out their dad bought a diner. One day, they were on their way to school, and their mom stopped at the diner, and they went in. The girls were perplexed, and their dad was working on the line preparing orders, and their grandma was helping out in front. <laughs> grandpa was working the fryolator. Fryolator. It's like a deep fryer. Cooker oh, kind of oh, thing. Okay. That's the fancy term. Yeah, for French for a French, French, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a family. It was totally a family affair. Their dad announced he bought this diner. The girls were so excited to learn this is our restaurant. <laughs> In the beginning, it was fun owning a restaurant. The dad was happy and inspired. He whistled, you know, why mm-hmm. he worked. And Erin and her sister loved coming on Sunday and getting to choose from a mile long menu. Some of their favorites were homemade donuts, as she describes in the book. After taking a bite, steam rose from their mouths, the warm, the crunch on the outside that yielded to this softness on the inside, delicate hints of nutmeg and vanilla. Hmm. I have to admit, reading this book, you may get hungry. (laughs) Throughout this book, there are lovely descriptions of food and how it brings people together, either by making it or consuming it. Uh, So much reminds me of, like, Kamala Harris, how important it was for her to have family time with with her stepchildren and and her husband and, like, Maria Goff, who, even if it was on paper plates, well, often on paper plates, so they didn't have to worry about dishes, family time around food. I think food brings people together. Yeah, absolutely. Growing up, Erin wanted to please her dad, which was tough to do. He was kind of a standoffish, not super engaging with his family, and to be blunt, he was kind of a bit of an alcoholic. (laughs) He really wanted a son, and he was disappointed he had two daughters. Oh, my gosh. How did they even know that? Know. Well, it was clear. And so oh. it, really, it really put a damper on their relationship. Shame on him. But his, her dad had a passion for cooking, mm-hmm. and he'd make special dinners for the family. And I think that's really how they would connect with these delicious meals. She describes a time where he watched Emerald Lagasse on TV, and he created this lovely salmon with lemon and dill. Mm. And it just felt really special. That already does make me hungry. Right yeah, there. I know. <laughs> I think these experiences with food would help later define Aaron's cooking. Aaron, nevertheless, tried to please her dad. So at 12, she began working as a line cook at her dad's diner. She learned so much about cooking and food. It really was the beginning training to be a chef and a restaurateur. The joy of owning the restaurant had left her dad, and he stopped being happy and was working these long 16-hour days. It really, truly sucked the life out of mm-hmm. him. And he, and which I think is very common in, in the restaurant, restaurant world. For sure. Which, you know, I think it, it looks so glamorous right. and fun, and, but I but think it's a long, you know, Yeah, the long days. Exactly why I should not go into it, because... Well, and I think the drinking didn't help him either, too. Erin worked at the diner all the way through high school, but she really wanted to get out of freedom. She dreamed of becoming an obstetrician and saw the way out was her chance to go to college. Mm -hmm. She was an excellent student and got a full-ride scholarship to the University of Maine and a partial to Northeastern University in Boston. She chose the latter because she really wanted city living. Mm -hmm. Erin had two years under her belt in college when one night with an old high school boyfriend would derail her plan, and she found herself pregnant and back in freedom. Mm -hmm. I mean... I can only imagine. And she felt trapped, scared, I'm sure, pregnant, yeah. and back working at the diner. 
Her mom was her cheerleader. She became her surrogate partner, going to doctor's appointments, Lamaze classes. I'm assuming the mom took the place of the The dad. Yeah, because, you know. He he, wasn't in the picture. He was not in the picture. So she was encouraging her all along the way. And at 21, she gave birth to a baby boy, Jem, which means I love in French. Oh, I know. A sweet oh, name. Oh, that reminds me of Pink's daughter. Yeah. Willow. Yeah. What the reason she named her Willow was because that's her favorite type of tree. It's oh. bend, like it bends in yeah. everything, but it's solid. You can't oh, break it. I love that. So, yeah. That just reminds me. I love meanings of names. Yeah. Her dad was over the moon, though, because finally a son, or, you know, grandson <laughs> in the family. And it was tough being young and single. Fortunately, she had her mom's help. I, d- I admired their relationship. Erin got into a rhythm caring for Jem and began experimenting with recipes, creating scones, cookies, and cakes to sell to earn some extra money. Her best customers were her mother's co-workers from school, which I think is cute. Her mm-hmm. mom was bringing those in yeah. advertising. After several months at home, she decided to strike it out on her own, moving to a nearby town of Belfast. Erin found a small little apartment. I love how she described decorating it from fresh paint and thrift store finds. I just admire her creative nesting. Mm-hmm. And then a finishing touch in Jem's room is a watercolor she had done a while ago of, of the Velveteen Rabbit, which oh, is that she painted. She painted. Oh, so sweet. I mean, she's really talented. Yeah, read really that creative. Story in forever. Good I know story. it's a good one. Erin whipped together fruit and vegetable parades for Jam. So awesome. I was not that industrious. I mean. <laughs> I tried, but then my kids didn't eat them, so I, yeah. I, like, gave up. I really admire her desire to make it on her own. After working at a cooking store for a short while, a bartender, a caterer, she ended up at a high-end bistro all along the way, fine-tuning her cooking skills and craft, and her parents supporting her by taking care of Jam while she worked. At the bistro, she met Tom. She's lucky she had that. That's I know. Definitely. I mean, that was that really probably was super nice. Probably for knowing his, for that him, you have someone just having that continuity, someone to take care of your child and not worry about yeah. it. She at the bistro, she met Tom, a man twice her age, a local boat builder. He'd been married and had two children and was divorced. He also enjoyed food and dabbled in cooking. They dated for a while, and Aaron kept kind of hoping to create this family for Jim. Also, in the back of her mind, dreaming of a secret supper club. There was a building in downtown Belfast that had been vacant, so she pitched her dream to the owners and asked if she could rent the apartment above to test out this supper club idea. She sold the idea. She put together the table settings from local thrift stores and using, like, the electric stove already oh in there. Gosh. Well, for a, for a chef or a cook, I mean, that's, you know, electric <laughs> is not the way to go, so... But she procured, yeah, I love this. She procured local ingredients from farmers, fishmongers, and butchers, creating her mm-hmm. menu. And she's changing it every evening, which, wow. you know, is pretty amazing. Industrious yeah. in that, too. Yeah. She sent emails to dinner guests, inviting friends, family, whoever she could think of, asking them to her supper club and BYOB, you know, bring your own wine or beer, mm-hmm. and also requesting possible donations. To pay for the food. Yeah, to pay for the food. But I guess some people were kind of turned off by that. But it grew, and it was a hit. She named her supper club The Lost Kitchen, maybe because it was hidden away in an apartment. Erin had a talent for food pairings and creating a special dining experience. After some time, she knew she couldn't just keep this secret supper club going. Eventually, she would need to open a full-fledged restaurant with proper permits. Mm -hmm. Aaron eventually married Tom, and they decided together they would open a restaurant in the space below the apartment. 
They also bought the building with little money, no equity, I mean, to put into this. It was a leap of faith, something she desperately wanted to do, even though married life was tough with Tom. Tom, like her dad, was an alcoholic, and it was kind of hard keeping her son protected from the ugliness that came along with his addiction. And she and Tom did much of the work of setting this up all by themselves. They made the tables from leftover wood from his boat building workshop. She rummaged an old sink from her parents' farm. She painted the interior and trim herself, as well as making the drapes and table. Did she have any pictures of these in the book? I'm just curious. I bet there's no pictures. No, okay. Yeah, I wish because I would. I'm just curious. I I know. I can kind of imagine. And she borrowed one of Tom's saws from his workshop and went out to the nearby woods and cut down birch oh trees gosh. for arrangements. I just love her creativity. This just and reminds me so much of my mom yeah. and just industrious and right. figuring out a way to make, make, do make and it, get it done. Yep. Yeah. And again, she went to the thrift stores and chairs and just amazed how the knack of putting things together mm-hmm. really out of nothing. Her family thought no way would a foodie restaurant make it in a small town like Belfast. They were wrong. She was an instant sensation. And I love in the book how she describes peering into the restaurant from the kitchen, waiting for the diner's expression. Mm-hmm. That she And I just, I love that. Mm-hmm. She worked long days, still managing to be an awesome mother to Jem, getting ready for school, walking him, you know, in the morning before starting her day at the restaurant and picking him up after school he would do his homework until, like, dinner service began. And then Tom would take Jim upstairs to their apartment and get him ready for bed. Which is so convenient. I know, it's so convenient. Right, be there. Yeah, be and right how, there. you know, he wasn't good at pitching in at the restaurant because she was working 16-hour days, you know, and then cleaning up, and he wasn't really being super helpful. She began to resent him. He had quit drinking, which is awesome, mm-hmm. after a blowout fight, but it left him irritable, and their marriage really was suffering. Sorry. Aaron's anxiety grew as the restaurant took off. More pressure, long days, and wanting to create this home life for Jem was wearing on her. She went to her doctor who prescribed uppers and downers and Mm. sleeping meds. And as the pressure mounted between the restaurant and her family marriage, she began drinking during the day, along with self-medicating, increasing her dose. I don't know. I feel really bad, too. I think her physician also just kept prescribing her. Rather than looking at the problem and trying to figure out what it is. And once again... Importance of mental health right. and self-care. Yeah. And the crazy thing, though, her restaurant was hidden and out of the park during all of this. And probably no one would guess that she right. was suffering on the inside. Yeah. One night after a killer day, she lost it, and Tom and her fought. She had actually attacked him and scratching his face. It was a low point in their marriage, and she had no idea the storm that lay ahead. By Tom's doing, she ended up in rehab in the Midwest, not wanting to be there. And then 48 hours after being admitted, you have to to wait 48 hours before you can call someone. So she calls her mom, and she finds out that Tom had taken custody of Jem and closed the restaurant. And then she also— How did he even have— And, well, I think because, you know, she was taken into rehab. And then she also found out when she was signing the papers during the purchase of the restaurant, she was the only one on the mortgage, and Tom was the one on the deed. So she's wondering all along if this was his plan. Yeah, that's very suspicious right there. Hello. And overwhelmed with this knowledge and trying to get clean, it was rough along with pain and anguish of getting off all these prescription drugs and alcohol. You know, it really took her toll. And she, Erin, wanting to give up, then realizing Jem is the only thing that mattered. She stayed in rehab for two weeks, but her insurance ran out. And then she ended up in a psych ward for a short stay. And then her mom got her out. Talk about hitting rock bottom. So she's back home again with her parents and freedom. Happy to be out of rehab, but unsure what her next step is. Her family rallied 
Her parents, especially her dad, felt that loss of the grandson. Trying to find her way out of the mess, some friends, Dave and Ivy, they were actually Tom's friends who joined Aaron's mm-hmm. camp yeah, in the divorce. I think that probably a sometimes. lot of friends would have yeah. because it sounds like Tom was a piece of work. Yeah. But. They help Erin get this old 1965 Airstream, which she totally just like rips apart. I love the description in that book. It's like it's it must not have like been cathartic. The, big, the, the big silver, silver ones. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She just clears it out. So cooking is what she knew and it defined her. It was her way back to being a chef and getting mm-hmm. her son back. I think this woman's middle name should be Comeback. Yeah. So she's she, hitching her dad's truck. She took off to test out her mobile kitchen. She pitched her first mobile supper club idea to a family that had a barn just a town over. And she even helped capture the 32 hens they used oh. to be served for that dinner. Oh, my god! And her mom came to help, lend a hand. And then again, she's like little scraps of fabrics to make napkins. Mm-hmm. So frugal and resourceful. I just appreciate her resilience and ability to forge ahead no matter the setbacks. Just setback after setback. setback after I know. Setback. And after a few more suppers, one in an apple orchard, one in a greenhouse, finally making her way back to freedom. And I love how Erin describes heading back to freedom as a place she grew up, couldn't wait to leave, and now a place full of second chances and her oh. home again. I like that second chances part. Yeah, yeah. The old mill in town was being renovated. Erin had the idea of a restaurant again. again Everything's a restaurant. I love, yeah. I love. And I love that. I love her gumption. I don't think I could do that. I admire her ability not to give up on her passion and dream. Again, she sold the idea to the owners and opened Lost Kitchen in the summer 2014. It was huge undertaking. So Lost Kitchen is still the same name at the... At this restaurant in at the mill. the apartment. Yeah. In the same as she the kept okay. the name, Yeah. It was huge. You know, she putting the kitchen together, hiring the staff, and all the details and opening and running the restaurant. But she did it once. She sure as heck was convinced she could do it again. Her heart, you know, was, you know, pounded with anticipation. But this time, no drugs, no alcohol. She had a group of people to support her. I love how she created a village of women. With her sister, Nina, was in charge of reservations (laughs) and phone lines. Other women in town, farmers, wives, teachers, creating a team for the restaurant was a common desire to make something special in this rural town. I have to say, it's the only restaurant in the town. And how unique that it's... <laughs> I know. Yeah. This her, is a little... This is a very rural town. Her mom became in charge of the wines and studying and researching the different varieties, which is interesting, too, because they still had prohibition laws. Oh, seriously? Because they never had a restaurant in this town. Oh, my gosh. So they had to go around oh. it. Oh, my goodness. And that was a whole... That's a whole... That's interesting. That's, that was yeah. a whole chapter? Yeah. But And she also had her aunt, Rhoda, man, who managed the office, paying the bills and taking care of payroll. Finally, after a year and a half long battle, Erin was divorced from Tom, yet the, it wasn't completely over because she shared custody with Jim for a few more years until he turned 16. And he finally didn't want to live with Tom anymore. The Which last, makes sense. I know. Tom isn't his dad. Isn't his dad. So, and I mm. think he was just, you know, it was more custodial kind mm-hmm. of a situation. A power thing. Yeah. The Lost Kitchen is a 48-seat restaurant named one of Time Magazine's world's greatest places and one of the 12 restaurants worth traveling across the world to experience by Bloomberg, which that says a lot. It takes reservations by postcard only, and folks hope to be chosen. So she has an email or a a mailing address. She has a mailing address. And so what happened is her reservations got way out of control. And I guess it started in 2017. She decided to ask people to send a postcard to be entered in this table lottery. And she receives more than 20,000 postcards a year. 
I just admire Erin for not giving up on herself, mm-hmm. getting her son back, and not giving up on her dream of running a restaurant. I really also appreciate how she writes about her messiness mm-hmm. in life and her, her path back to redemption. We all need that. Yeah, and we see all the good, like the things we're jealous of right. on social media. So it's good to, it's refreshing to, to have see. someone real. Yeah. And I also see her passion for food and cooking as a love language, which I can relate to. As I chatted about before in episode 28, my mom's love of baking was her love language, as well as my husband, who's an awesome cook, who this past weekend replicated a favorite sandwich from a restaurant we like to frequent. Ooh, which one? It's Red Hills Market. Oh, okay. Yeah, Mm -hmm. in uh, Dundee. It's an egg salad with dill. It's really refreshing. And then avocado on wheat toast topped with arugula. It just really warmed my heart that he made it for me. I, yeah. I love how food has that effect on yeah. people. A recipe has no soul. You as the cook must bring soul to the recipe. Thomas Keller. So speaking of food, I'm excited yeah. for our project. On May 30th, we're going to do sack lunches. Yeah. With, you're familiar with the... A Bridgetown. Okay. It's, it's a church in Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. It's over on the northeast side. We're going to be accepting donations. We'll have all of that on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. It's peanut butter, water bottles, chips, string cheese, granola bars. Okay. And they all and go a in fruit. a Ziploc and oh, fruit. And a fruit. Okay. And they all go in a Ziploc, Ziploc bag. bag, gallon bag. Um, people can reach out if they want to meet us to help assemble the sandwiches or if they want to drop off peanut butter or or whatever. So just reach out if you want to help, if you want to join us. Or if they maybe want to go do it themselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We'll put the link up on our website, tangentialinspiration.com, and you can help feed the hungry. So I feel like I'm evolving a little bit through COVID, not to brag. (laughs) I guess we all should be evolving a little bit, but I had worked a lot with an older gentleman, some one-on-one sessions when gyms opened again. And truthfully, I made some judgments based on his appearance and the, what he was wearing. And, and I just, I didn't, I looked at him and I thought that we would not have a lot in common. Right. And come to find out we had way more in common. Oh, that's I mean, awesome. we still yeah. you know, very much part in a lot of ways, but oh my gosh, we had, I just, I, it reminded me to focus more on our similarities yeah. versus focusing on what we might not agree with, but it definitely opened my mind and my heart and it totally like it's changed my fitness focus for, oh, wow. for people, with yeah. how I help people. And he definitely opened my understanding to the mind of an alcoholic okay. because he spent a lot of time talking about it. Oh. And so it's just kind of kept, uh, kept coming back to me. I keep hearing stories about people being changed forever through AA. Yeah. And I didn't know the history. I was slightly curious about it and more so about this 12 step program because I've heard it not only from the man that I worked with, he, as soon as things opened up and he was vaccinated, he made sure to go meet with a high school friend because he said I needed to apologize to him for anything I might've done to him in his past. So he needed to fix that and just anyone you might've wronged. And so it made me curious about also, I love that Rich Roll podcast super podcast for any endurance athlete junkie but he also comments often on different celebrations with the with the tokens and celebrating being sober and so it just it really made me curious about aa 
And I guess not only was it Mr. Bill, because sometimes part of it is being anonymous, and okay. so it would be, are you a friend of Bill? Right, okay. But it's also Dr. Bob. And then a sister, a oh. nun, Sister Ignacia, she was an Irish-born nun, and she was a nurse at a hospital that cared for th- either Mr. Wilson or Mr. Smith, one of them, at a okay. time where they were not supposed to care for people drunk. Oh, but she I know saw that. it as she saw it as a problem right. before people saw it as a problem, like a, like a disease. Exactly. So she joined these guys kind of with some of the concepts, but she was the one who had the idea of the tokens or the the chips, and she also, I guess, came up with the idea of them having coffee, okay, meeting for coffee in coffee shops instead. With Bill Wilson, his parents. The story is just tragic. His parents had abandoned him soon after he and his sister were born. Aww. His father left for a business trip, just yeah. never came back. His mom just up and left to Vermont to study osteopathic medicine. So he was re- he was raised by his maternal grandparents. He didn't get his law degree because he went on graduation day. He was too drunk to Aww. go get up and get his diploma. So his entire career had to shift after that. Wow, what he, a waste! Yeah, no of kidding. Degree. Then Robert Smith, Doctor Bob, who he was known for. He almost failed to graduate from medical school for his problem with alcohol as well. And the only way he was allowed to graduate from Rush Medical College was if he remained an extra two quarters and they made sure he was sober. That's pretty forgiving, though, on them. I mean, to allow that extra. For a doctor, yeah. 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 But, I mean, obviously these men had serious problems with it, and I'm happy that the nun was willing to work with all of them. And then, so I did look into the to the 12 steps because I was so curious with what I've been hearing about. And a lot of this comes from Oxford group, which was a very religious sect at the time. So they sound a little bit strict, but the practices they utilized were called the five C's confidence, confession, conviction, conversion, continuance. So in their philosophy with the Oxford group, which they kind of branched away from, they just thought that everyone, all people were sinners. All sinners can be changed. Confession is a prerequisite to that okay. change, and the changed person can access God directly. Miracles are again possible, and the changed person must change others. So they oh. need to set an example. So it kind of reminds me of the, of the chef we, yeah. Yeah, we just talked about. They wrote the big book, and they had it in 1939, and then um, it went big in 1946 with the 12 steps, the 12 traditions. And I'll just read them because... They're they're pretty stri- they're pretty rigid. Yeah, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol; that our lives had become unmanageable. Came to a belief that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs the exact nature of our wrongs. So this is what my friend had right. going back to his high school friend. Do, yeah. Um, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings, made a list of all persons we had harmed 
and became willing to make amends to them all. Once wow. again, part it's a lot back of to that. Yeah. yeah, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. And finally, number 12, having had a spiritual awakening, as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So with Bill Wilson and Bob Smith in 1935, they really wanted to stay sober, and their goal was to help other alcoholics achieve that sobriety as well. So whether or not you agree with their list, I was reading the the pros with AA and the 12 step concept is that it, it, cause this has worked in other areas too, narcotics, food addiction, different types of addiction, change in social network. They encourage that maintaining motivation by the meetings, confidence in the ability to cope with demands of recovery, decrease in depression symptoms, and it increased spirituality. With learning the new strategies, they connected with like-minded individuals. So people who also were Trying, right. well, the trying community, to yeah. yeah, but anonymously, so right. they wouldn't. You it's know. not out there. But yeah, that yeah. community. Yeah, they thrive where there's no judgment. Right, which I love. Yeah, they get help whenever you need it, so they are very supportive of one another, and the meetings are free. So I'm just. I mean, the few things that I've I've learned about AA, I can see why it's been. But I know it's not yeah. for everyone. Right, but definitely some. I mean, I love that concept of if you've wronged someone in the past, just go ask for forgiveness and clean the slate. One downfall that I read, I mean, I know a lot of people have arguments with it, but a downfall, they called it step 13 and that's dating. Oh, dating. Among them. And I guess often usually tends to be a man asking out a female in the group. And obviously that's discouraged until they're far enough along. But I just thought it was interesting. I I mean, I definitely admire it's a nonstop battle for these people. Right. And often it's a chemical, something with the addiction. Yeah. So. That's good. Yeah. And hey, don't forget to send us an email or go to our website, tangentialinspiration.com to enter to win The Hill We Climb by Amanda Gorman. We're doing that the month of May. Everybody who sends us a note or reaches out, like even on Instagram, if they right. send okay. us a note on Instagram, yeah. goes into the pot, and at the end of May, we'll pick a winner, and we'll send them Amanda Gorman's book. We covered her episode two. Two? Yeah. Okay. Optimism is a happiness magnet. If you stay positive, good things and good people will be drawn to you. Mary Lou Rett. Thanks for listening to Tangential Inspiration. We really want to hear from you. Email us your comments or story suggestions at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com or leave a comment on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Our website has all our podcast episodes, show notes, stories, follow-ups, and links to websites and books we talk about. Like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, and you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week.